little January tapped at my door today and said, put on your winter wraps and come outdoors to play. Little January is always full of fun until the set of sun. Little January will stay a month with me and we will have such jolly times. Just come along and see. that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Kit and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, inspired by the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of early cold, or shokan. Spanning from January 5th to January 20th, this season is firmly in winter's cold grasp. Even through these frigid days, we can see hopeful signs of life. Frozen springs may begin to thaw, parsley flourishes, and pheasants begin to call. Early cold is preceded by the mini-season winter solstice and followed by greater cold. The coldest days of winter are still ahead of us. January constantly finds us looking forward. As in every season, there's lots to explore in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives as we begin our passage into this special period. Let's set out. Happy New Year, Alexis. Happy New Year, Kit. And Happy New Year to all our listeners as we begin our first episode of the new year. That sounds rather momentous, doesn't it? The first episode of the new year. I remember that in Japan, part of New Year's traditions include keeping track of a lot of firsts. For instance, it's a tradition in Japan to stay up and watch the first sunrise of the new year, known as Hatsuhinode. There's also Hatsuyume, the first dream of the new year, Hatsuyu, the first bath of the new year. Hatsugoyomi, turning the first calendar page of the new year. I like that one. Turning the first page of the calendar can be rather cathartic, can't it? The start of new beginnings. The old calendar fills me with gratitude, like a sutra. First calendar sheet. When I turn it, I almost feel the globe has moved. Not just the first page of the calendar, but the first page of a new diary at the beginning of a new year really puts me in the right mindset to begin a rewarding year. Keeping track of the year's first experiences can help us stay mindful when preparing for the year ahead. Talking about all these firsts at the beginning of the year, 
These are actually all good kigo, or seasonal words, for the season that comes before this one, which includes the new year, or oshogatsu in Japan. We'll cover oshogatsu in another episode. By the time our current season of early cold comes around, many of these firsts might have already been achieved. That's true. The first few days of the new year have already passed, and it's time we're settling in to the first month of the year. Falling within our season after Oshogatsu is Koshogatsu, or Little New Year, which falls on January 15th. Koshogatsu has a number of traditions of its own, but in modern times it's primarily a marker of that settling-in feeling. The hustle and bustle of the big holiday season is over, and we can finally begin to relax. Yes, the holidays are always special, but it can be nice to have a quiet period to relax afterwards. However, the first few weeks of the new year can be filled with hustle and bustle too, especially for those of us who may have made demanding New Year's resolutions. Ah uh, yes, the January rush to the gym. I confess, it seems every year I make similar resolutions. I always promise that I will take better care of my health and that I will read more. Those sound like pretty achievable resolutions. Did you find you can keep up with them? I usually do okay with reading. I love reading books in January that I received as holiday gifts in December. But typically, I am back to my old eating habits by February. Hmm. Well, I think you may not be alone in your ability to keep resolutions sometimes. In fact, you've reminded me of a poem by Rudyard Kipling. I am resolved throughout the year to lay my vices on the shelf, a godly sober course to steer and love my neighbors as myself, excepting always two or three whom I detest as they hate me. I am resolved that vows like these, though lightly made, are hard to keep, wherefore I'll take them by degrees, lest my backslidings make me weep. Kipling aside, I say, don't give up. Maybe this year will be the year you succeed with your resolutions. Thank you, Alexis. I'll do my best. In fact, you've inspired me. This year, I'm also resolving to read more poetry. Ah, that's a good one. And what a good time to start. As Jean-Paul Sartre said, to read a poem in January is as lovely to go for a walk in June. I feel that way too. The quiet, reflective days of winter are a perfect time for poetry. And you know, even though we might not always be successful, I do think that keeping resolutions could be a good kigo for this season. It's good to keep trying. Turning over a new calendar page, or starting a new daily planner or journal, inspires one to want to make fresh starts. Speaking of which, Let's take a closer look at these passages of time with our friend Hiroaki Sato. It's time for Hiro's Corner, narrated by Ed von Atterkass. On the ninth day of the 11th month of the lunar calendar of the fifth year of the era of Meiji, which was 1872, 
The Japanese government announced that the country would discard the lunar calendar in favor of the solar or Gregorian calendar and turn the third day of the 12th month of 1872 into the first day of January 1873. Uh, this might be too much of a mouthful to start a talk on a few seasonal words for the session. It's studded with too many dates and figures in such a short space. Still, I must note this because as you get used to Japanese seasonal words, you're likely to notice some subtle, sometimes not so subtle, discrepancies between what's described and the designated season. This is because many seasonal concepts were set while the lunar calendar was the only thing used, and this was the case until just 150 years ago. There's a difference of 30 to 40 days between the lunar and solar calendar. You know this, for example, because the New Year festival in Chinatown this year, 2021, was planned to start on February 12th, although it has been cancelled because of the coronavirus. The question is, why do the Japanese, as with its neighboring East Asian nations, celebrate the first month of the year? Well, because it foretells the arrival of spring, or it did under the lunar calendar. The 24 solar terms that China devised begins with spring rises. The 72 climates that also China devised begins with the eastern wind melts the ice. If you look up different names for January in Japanese Wikipedia, you'll find something like 45 of them, mostly of Chinese origins, and a number of them have to do with spring. This might not be something you feel in January. Today, the standard names for the 12 months in Japanese are simply numerical and, shall we say, boring. Ichigatsu, first month for January. Nigatsu, second month for February. Sangatsu, the third month for March, etc. These names weren't created under the solar calendar, they were under the lunar calendar. But under the lunar calendar, there are also Japanese-style monthly names, otherwise known as Wafugetsume. As in China, there are more than one Japanese-style names for each month, but there are also what you may call a standard set of names for the 12 months. In this set, January, or first month, is called Mutsuki, which, according to the standard uh, explanation of the Chinese characters applied to the word, means intimate month. The explanation goes on to say it's so named because it's the month when people, family members and friends, gather for intimacy, as you may have guessed. So here is a haiku of Ishi Rogetsu, who lived from 1873 to 1928. Just about a hundred of the relatives, intimate month. Just about a hundred of the relatives, intimate month. Rogetsu, Dewey Moon, or Moon in Dew, was his haiku name, his real name being Masaharu. He was inspired to concoct the haiku name when he saw the moonlight in the dew on fresh leaves of trees. He was born to a farmer in the northern prefecture Akita, the year the solar calendar was adopted, studied medicine in Tokyo, and then went back to his village and worked as a country doctor for the rest of his life. In this poem, he talks about a hundred of his relatives gathering to celebrate the first month of the year because he lived in a village. His house is now a museum. Here's another haiku on intimate month. Six days already gone, intimate months aged, rain and wind. Six days already gone, intimate months aged, rain and wind. 
This is by Naito Meisetsu. What does this haiku mean? What is it describing? Before getting into that, I'd like to point out that there was one thing Rogetsu and Meisatsu shared, even as their backgrounds were opposite. Rogetsu was born a peasant's son, Meisatsu a high-ranking samurai son, when such things still mattered, but both studied haiku with Masaoka Shiki, who lived from 1867 to 1902, Meisatsu's junior by 20 years. Shiki was the haiku reformer, so let us assume that both Rogetsu and Meisetsu were following Shiki's dictum that haiku should describe what's observed as is. This went contrary to the traditional concept of haiku that it had to contain some sort of literary twist. One of the many names for first month, which may be far more common than intimate month, is shogatsu, which means correct month. This is said to date from the rule of China's first emperor, Shi Huangdi, of the Qin Dynasty, who ruled from BC 259 to BC 210. Now, my friend Midori, who worked for the Metropolitan Museum of Art for many years as a textile conservator, says this haiku of Meisetsu simply says what it says. As she puts it, in the old days, welcoming the new year was a big deal. You had to prepare many new things, clean the whole house, make New Year's decorations, make new clothes, so to greet family and friends to celebrate the new year, and come the new year, eat especially prepared food, visit the shrine in new clothes. But this year, all these customary observances were left undone because of the wind and rain. This year, let not the wind and rain deter us. Thinking about fresh beginnings puts me in mind of two observances which occur during this mini-season. Both mark a transition, one into adulthood and one into a new season. The first is Seijin no Hi, or Coming of Age Day in Japan. Coming of Age Day, which takes place on the second Monday of January, this year the 11th, celebrates young people who have reached the age of 20 in the past year the legal age to drink, drive, and vote. It's a special rite of passage. I went to the mountain and found the fires burning after the coming of age festival. Static electricity from my sweater. Coming of age day is here. On coming of age day, the snowstorm, too, celebrates. I have to admit that until this episode, I didn't know much about Seiji no Hi, except that it was a holiday celebrated in January, and one where you would see young men and women flamboyantly dressed. However, after doing a bit of research, I discovered that the official holiday began in 1946, when a small city in Saitama Prefecture organized an event to give hope to younger generations after World War II. Other municipalities began to follow, and in 1948, Seiji no Hi was established as a national holiday to commemorate young adulthood and celebrate their journey to a new life on their own. 
It's nice to think that this holiday was developed after a period of strife as a way to guide and cheer future generations. On Seijin no Hi, you see men and women gather in crowds, having fun, and beautifully dressed in winter wear. In recent years, this holiday has become a time of informal class reunions, and with that, heavy drinking. Uh-oh. Young people enjoying their newfound freedom. To every season, there is a season. How soon hath time the subtle thief of youth, as John Milton said. Speaking of time, also celebrated on the second Monday of January is another observance, Plow Monday. This day marks the agricultural start for the spring season. Listeners, you are probably thinking that it might be a bit too early to start plowing fields. And for that, you are right. Instead, traditionally during this observance, farmers dressed in clean white smocks, decorated with ribbons, and dragged a plow through the village and collected money for the plow light that was kept burning in the church all year. Plow the land, plow the land, hold the handles with each hand. Furrows keep straight and deep, firm and steady stand. Quickly turn around we may, plowing back the other way. Plow the land, plow the land, farmers understand. Sounds like through this event, the farmers were getting themselves back into the headspace to get back to work once the ground had thawed. It's just like how you were talking about earlier, Kit, preparing for the new. These types of traditions help to mark our life. Look up. From bleakening hills blows down the light. First breath of wintry wind. Look up and scent the snow. You know, right before Christmas and on the day of your birthday, Kit, the East Coast had a big winter storm last year. It was magical. It made me realize how long it had been since we had a good snowstorm, as last year it hardly snowed here in New York City at all. There's nothing like a good winter storm. Welcome, wild nor'easter. Shame it is to see odes to every zephyr, ne'er averse to thee. Welcome, black nor'easter, over the German foam, over the Danish moorland from thy frozen home. Sweep the golden reed beds, crisp the lazy dike, hunger into madness every plunging pike. Through the black fir forest, thunder harsh and dry, shattering down the snowflakes off the curdled sky. A winter storm sounds like as seasonal a birthday present as ever. You know, the snow reminded me of all the various shapes and forms that cold weather brings. Icicles, frozen rivers and lakes, and there's such a variety to each different type of snowflake. Lucy Van Pelt from the Phoenix comic strip observed, I never eat December snowflakes. I wait until January. I'm not sure if there is anything different about December or January snowflakes, but perhaps it's in how we think about them. Cultures around the world have many words for snow and ways that it falls. 
One of the more beautiful words in Japanese, I think, is yukibana, which literally translates to snow flower. Can you guess what kind of snow this is referring to? Hmm. A light dusting of snow? Nope. Snow flurries. Aha! Yes, that makes sense. I can see that. Softly from the sky is falling, snowflakes white as lilies fair, gently to each other calling as they float down through the air. Softly, softly, oh so softly, do they come from dizzy heights. Gently, gently, oh so gently, do they lay a blanket white. Over all the many housetops, over shrubs and tall, tall trees, over hills and field and meadows, hiding stones and restless leaves. Here's a few other fun words about snow. In Icelandic, meyut is the word for snow that has just fallen. Another word for this type of snow is simply nisai, for new snow. Snow that is powdery is often called leisumjut. Here's a few more from Scotland. Fiefel, to swirl. Flindrikin, a light snow shower. Snowpowther, fine driving snow. Spitters, small drops or flakes of wind-driven rain or snow. Unbrak, the beginning of a thaw. Ooh, how fun. There's also another beautiful aspect which comes with snow, especially big snowstorms. The bright, clear day which follows. The world coated in white sparkles and shines. When days are crisp and bright and flakes are downward hurled, oh, to wake up in the light and find a white, white world. Oh, to look all around on fence and bush and hill and see the snow piled on the ground and on the windowsill. It's hard to sit in school all day and work and study hard. Twould be such fun to go and play at soldiers in the yard and build a fort just like the one the picture has with flag unfurled. The summer's good, but oh, the fun to have a white, white world. And yet, one of the joys of enjoying the cold, snowy days is the act of coming indoors again. As Laura Ingalls Wilder wrote in The Long Winter, It was so wonderful to be there, safe at home, sheltered from the winds and the cold. Laura thought that this must be a little like heaven, where the weary are at rest. That sounds lovely. Even though I don't live in a place where it snows, I completely understand that sense of warm, safe feeling of staying inside in winter. Here, we're having some very windy weather. There's something about wind in winter that can just chill you to the bone. It definitely makes one glad to come indoors. There's something to those winds, though. The feeling we call coldness isn't just about temperature. Wind speed can cause our body heat to drop faster, making us feel colder on a windy day than on a calm day at the same temperature. That's why, in colder climates, we get wind chill warnings. Just hearing that makes me want to hibernate. 
on the winds of January, down flits the snow, traveling from the frozen north as cold as it can blow. Poor Robin Redbreast, look where he comes. Let him in to feel your fire and toss him of your crumbs. Meanwhile, out among those winter winds and freezing cold days, wildlife is yet surviving. Around this time of year, you may be hearing an old familiar sound, the cawing of crows. We've talked about crows in previous episodes, but as with many Kigo, we can mark the seasons by noting the changes in the familiar. The winter-specific Kigo for crows in Japanese is kangarasu, or crows in the cold. Winter is a time when crows are especially social. In warmer weather, you typically see them in family groups of up to eight birds. But as the weather gets colder, these families of crows join other families to form communal night roosts. Late winter is typically the peak for these roosts, when they may contain hundreds of birds at a time. As we've discussed before, crows can really be quite raucous. But I must say, there's something endearing too about those enduring feathered fellows. When I was upstate over the winter holidays, I admit I saw cold crows just like you said. They were somehow very cheerful, like a big party hanging out at the top of the trees on the hill. Even Basho, who once wrote about his dislike for crows, couldn't help but be moved by a crow in the cold. A crow, which I'd usually hate so beautiful in morning snow. Isa, on the other hand, was somewhat less complimentary to the cold weather crows, which disrupt the otherwise quiet, contemplative days of the new year with their incessant calling. Pounding the seven herbs doesn't drown him out. Crow. In this haiku, Isa mentions the seven herbs, Say, Alexis, doesn't that sound familiar? We talked about the seven grasses and flowers of autumn and crows back in September. As you've noticed, the seasonal aspects that were with us in the autumn are still with us, but have gone through a transformation in winter. Actually, the seven herbs of health, or nanakusa, are specific to this season. They are different plants than the ones we discussed in autumns. These herbs Isa mentions are being made into a porridge. Traditionally, this seven herb porridge would be enjoyed on January 7th to promote health in the year ahead and overall longevity. These herbs, like the flowers and grasses of autumn, are a hallmark of the season. Which seven herbs are used in your seven herb porridge may vary a bit from region to region, but generally they are Japanese parsley, seri, Shepherd's Purse, Nazuna, Cudweed, Gogyo, Chickweed, Hakobera, Henbit, Hotokenoza, Turnip, Suzuna, and Suzushiro, or Daikon Radish. According to the old lunar calendar, these herbs were eaten on the seventh day of the first month, which, as we now know, corresponds to February. During February, there were a few more things growing. And young green herbs bring a verdant color to the table at a time of year when there was otherwise not much green to be found. Nevertheless, the calendars have changed, 
and eating them together builds up the spirits and appetites of the fresh new year and cleanse the body after a season of excess. Sometimes you just crave greens, especially bitter wild flavors. Here's a poem about one of our spring green ingredients, Shepherd's Purse. Though I'm poor to human eyes, really, I am rich and wise. Every tiny flower I shed leaves a heart-shaped purse instead. In each purse is wealth indeed, every coin a living seed. So the seed upon the earth, living plants shall spring to birth. Silly people's purses hold lifeless silver, clinking gold. But you cannot grow a pound from a farthing in the ground. Money may become a curse. Give me, then, my shepherd's purse. There's a lot of lore to our seven herbs of spring. For example, chickweed flowers are small and star-like, which is how they received their Latin name, Stellaria. The flowers open on sunny days, but they may close on rainy or cloudy days. Like a morning glory and sunflower combined, and deliciously edible. These seven herbs aren't the only plants to be considered a part of this season, of course. Yes, even now in January, light is slowly but surely returning and the days are growing longer. With sunnier skies above, plants will soon begin blooming again. There are a few flowers I always think of as special at this time of year. Let me guess. Are you thinking of winter bulbs? You guessed it. Flowers like amaryllis and paper whites, especially with their big, beautiful blooms, have such a power to brighten a dull winter's day. These flowering bulbs hold many childhood memories for me, too. My mother would often get amaryllis kits for Christmas, and their stalks would already be growing tall by mid-January. These flowers would keep us company until spring finally came again. Amaryllis bulbs grow into tall, sturdy flowers. Because of this, the Victorians associated the flower with strength and determination. The most popular amaryllis colors are pink, white, and red, or a combination of these. The name amaryllis comes from a Greek word that means to sparkle. This name seems particularly appropriate as amaryllis flowers are often used as holiday centerpieces. Another especially lovely bulb flower that is often given as a winter gift is the paper white narcissus. It's easy to see where these flowers get their name from. Their clusters of blossoms are the same pure white as paper. Paper whites are, if anything, easier to grow than amaryllis. Like other bulb plants, they're typically grown indoors during the winter months. If you live in a frost-free area, they can be replanted outside once their flowers start to fade. If you take care of them, you may have big holiday blooms again next year. They really are a gift of springtime in winter. Listeners, why not try growing some flower bulbs for yourself? If you do, feel free to share pictures with us by emailing nourishingjapan at gmail.com and we'll share your planting adventures on our Facebook page. If you own cats, you must take care though. Many flowering bulbs are poisonous to cats, so please keep them safely out of reach. Meanwhile, there's another seasonal flower we haven't mentioned yet, the snowdrop. And the snowdrop is also toxic to cats. But that said, 
It is a lovely early blooming flower, typically one of the first of all spring flowers to bloom. They are tiny plants that produce one flower of no more than one inch long, yet their tenacity for life is inspiring. They often bloom even while snow still covers the ground. Snowdrops, or galanthus, which means milk flower, are also planted as bulbs, typically in groups, and they may spread over time. They're a good choice to be planted with other spring blooming bulbs. Even amid the snow, if you see snowdrops, it is a sure sign that spring is on the way. They are little messengers of hope. Lone flower, hemmed in with snows, and white as they, but hardier far. Once more I see thee bend thy forehead, as if fearful to offend, like an unbidden guest. Though day by day storms sallying from the mountain tops waylay the rising sun, and on the plains descend, yet thou art welcome, welcome as a friend, whose zeal outruns his promise. Blue-eyed May shall soon behold this border thickly set with bright chonquils, their odors lavishing on the soft west wind and his frolic peers. Nor will I then thy modest grace forget, chaste snowdrop, venturous harbinger of spring, and pensive monitor of fleeting years. snowy landscape and returning to life indoors, this episode has been a great start to the new year ahead. Let us celebrate this episode for hopes of the new year. New wisdom, new glory, new health, and new cheer. This episode, some of the kigo, or seasonal words, featured were new beginnings, firsts, new year's resolutions, coming of age day, plow Monday, snow in all its various forms, winter storms, cold crows, cozy indoors, winter wind, the seven herbs of spring, amaryllis, paper white narcissus, and snowdrops. On this episode, you heard poems and prose by Cicely Mary Barker, Winifred C. Marshall, Yosa Busan, Yaki Tsutomu, Rudyard Kipling, Yoshida Koji, Hosokawa Kaga, Makino Keichi, Mary B.C. Slade, Adelaide Crapsey, C. Kingsley, Emma Louise Clapp, Annette Wine, Christina Rossetti, Basho, Isa, and William Wordsworth. The poems featured on this podcast are in the public domain or with permission from their creators. We would like to thank the readers for this episode, which include Catherine Piper, Zachary Piper, Monica Yugi, Amelia Bowen, Nicole Knight, Chris Whitaker, Carl Smith, Lynn Hickman, Cyrus Lanthier, and Nikki. We would also like to extend a special thanks once again to Hiroaki Sato for his contribution segment, Hiro's Corner, narrated by Ed Von Adderkass. To close this episode, I'd like to share with you an excerpt by Marie Vigilen, author of 66 Square Feet, The Delicious Life. It is precisely this long, chilly, suspended rest that gives meaning to the other side of the year, and that makes it all possible, come spring, to contemplate planting tomatoes yet again. Winter forgives us that crime of endlessly repeating ourselves. We wait. That is what winter is. And without the wait, without the emptiness, 
And without the browning and drying and blowing away the cold, the frozen pots, the bareness, spring would be nothing. How unbearable, a constant awakening, a continuous rising up, like remaining at a party that won't end. We need sleep, we need to be empty. It is the only possible preparation for the excess to come. And so we wait for spring, we enjoy these quiet, cold days, and hope that you'll join us again in our next episode, which is the beginning of spring. See you in another season.